the future is exciting. You know, we've we've found something that has made an incredible change in Finn's life. Um, and at least we feel like, you know, he's got the confidence to go out and try things now. Hello, I'm Colin Klupik, and you're listening to Learning Capacity. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast, improving student learning outcomes with educational neuroscience since 1999. If you're looking for science-based language, learning and reading programs for your school or child, visit learnfasthome.com.au. And remember, you can subscribe to this podcast absolutely for free. You can search for Learning Capacity on iTunes on your favorite Apple device, or you can find us at soundcloud.com slash learnfast. Watching your child grow up is exciting and wondrous. You marvel at what they pick up and how they develop. And you remember things like the first day they walked, usually with incredible detail, like the time and place. For Kim Rackerman and her husband, the journey with their son Finn wasn't quite so straightforward. As Kim describes, Finn wasn't really hitting the usual milestones in the way they had expected. After some years and assessments by medical professionals, Finn was found to be on the autism spectrum. The main indicator was his language delay. Through a combination of input from a speech pathologist and Kim's reading of Dr. Norman Deutsch's book, The Brain That Changes Itself, it was decided to start Finn on the Fast for Word programs. There was some scepticism, but in what seemed like a short space of time, the positive changes started. His language, reading, and confidence to attempt words all improved. In this episode, Kim shares Finn's story. Kim, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me, Colin. Your son, Finn, was diagnosed with uh, autism spectrum disorder, which most of us would probably know simply as, as autism. How long ago did this become apparent to you, and, uh, and, and how did you notice that something wasn't quite right? Yeah, it was, it was quite tricky with Finn. Um, clearly, I was very, being a medical professional, I was very interested in his milestones as we went along, and I noticed that he would just make his milestones from about, you know, 15, 12 to 15 months on, that he was just making his milestones in the sort of recommended window. So I sort of had a, you know, concerns there, but he, you know, so he walked at about 15 months and, you know, he had some words, but it was just a bit slow and there's always that reassurance that he's a boy and they're always a bit slower. Um, at developing some of their milestones. Um, so, but we sort of just progressed on because he was developing. Um, but eventually at around the age of three, I had him reviewed by one of the local paediatricians um, and she thought that uh, Finn was developing normal um, at that point in time. But then as time went on, really his language deficits became most pronounced to us. And his language seemed to be developing much slower um, than other aspects. Um, so I guess that was at around the age of four to five, um, we started to notice some problems and then we started uh, some speech therapy at that point. A lot of uh, parents, uh, myself included, uh, keep a very close eye on language development uh, when we have young ones. Um, mm. And and I guess that there is a bit of talk around, oh, well, my son was a, a little bit slower to start, but then suddenly everything sort of happened for us, or in your case, things didn't. When, mm. you, when, when you say that there was a, a language deficit, what does that look like? To someone who doesn't know what that looks like or sound like, what, what kind of words that are, are missing? Yeah, so I guess... Um is it's just so difficult in some ways and I always think if I had my daughter first who developed normally I would have been much more concerned about Finn 
Um, but I guess the ability to um, move from single words into phrases and then into sentences, and that help, happened all a bit slower with Finn. Um, and then, and even still now, he still struggles with sentences of greater length um, to construct in his head. That's still tricky for him even now. But I guess the thing for us that really, um, you know, we're doing a lot of speech pathology work, but we weren't really getting much gain out of it. So, I was going to ask about the speech pathology. Did did you pursue with? Uh, per, sorry, did you per- persevere with that? I should say, for uh, a fairly long amount of time before you realised that something still wasn't quite working. Yeah. So. We started speech pathology around the four and a half, five years, uh, and we probably were doing it for, a, a, you know, on and off because obviously it's hard to motivate a child to <laughs> continue to want to do similar things. Yes. So we'd give them a term on and then we'd have a term off and, and we're doing that for a couple of years and we just didn't really feel like we were getting anywhere with it. Um, so that was really tricky, whereas... So, and we sort of had in the back of our minds that mostly with language uh, issues that a short period of intervention will fix about 95% of speech problems. You know, and I'm not a speech pathologist, but that's sort of the number that people talk about is most children require a short intervention and then that fixes most problems. Mm -hmm. So we we were starting to recognise that we were in a slightly different group and there was some other things going on. There was some sort of social anxieties um, that were developing, which really were all related to Finn's ability to communicate with the world. Mm. Um, so that sort of made us start thinking a bit more globally. And then I think, and then school, starting school, um, really pronounced uh, particularly Finn's difficulties with language. So he did actually start school before the diagnosis of, uh, of autism? Look, Paul, my husband and myself, Paul's a clinical psychologist, so we certainly had in our mind that he had, uh, he was certainly on the spectrum, um, but we never, we never really officially sought the diagnosis because we were just doing the therapy and the interventions that we thought he needed. Yeah. Um, without necessarily having um, the diagnosis. And I guess everyone's slightly different about how they approach that. Some people feel they like to get a diagnosis so that they can go on and, and, and get the treatment. But we, in our minds, knew really what the treatment was, um, so we didn't feel like we needed – we were just doing the interventions, essentially. And so did you end up receiving an official diagnosis from a, a paediatrician or someone similar? Yeah, so um, – he, Finn was eventually assessed um, by an educational psychologist who he was and, and diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, you know, which is not otherwise specified. So because he didn't display some of the classic behaviours of um, autism spectrum disorder, you know, and it's a thing that you can see over time and often in reflection you think, well, yeah, there are certain things and, and no child, you know, behaves exactly like as defined in the diagnosis manuals, um, but he certainly has aspects uh, there. And so he had, he had already well started school by that point, had he not? Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. And so what, what, at what age did the, was he at school when you had the official diagnosis? Um, I think Finn was probably eight, 
when we actually had the official diagnosis, although we clearly had in our heads that, you know, that was there was global delay, which is, you know, that's autism. There was global delays across multiple areas. Yeah, at, at the age of eight, I would presume that Finn would be able to have a conversation about that if you explained that to him. Did he actually know what was going on, seeing different uh, speech pathologists and uh, practitioners and, and, and then the, uh, the psychologist? Did, did he have any understanding as to what was happening? Yeah, I mean, he certainly did and he certainly has an understanding now. You know, obviously he can articulate it um, much clearer now. But, you know, it was always explained to him that, you know, you have some problems getting your words out and, and hearing people um, and, 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 and you have some problems, you know, talking to people. Um, so it was sort of always put, you know, in a, in a developmentally uh, appropriate um, terms. Um, so, yeah. He so it was always... So he seemed to cope okay with that. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, you know, he clearly knew as well. I mean, because he he interacts with the world, and uh, and could see, you know, relative to his peers, um, that he seemed to struggle with language a lot more. But interestingly, Finn never really developed some of the behaviours that can go along with. Um, autism you know so behaviorally he's you know very well behaved he has some sensitivities to loud noises and sounds um and you know cold but otherwise you know he sits and he's a very well behaved child dr norman doidge in his book the brain that changes itself makes reference to autism as uh a mind that cannot conceive of another mind. When you look at how Finn deals with his condition and his life, would you say that that was a uh, a fair call on that on that on that explanation? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, I, it's really hard when you talk about individuals because you know it's never just for completely one way. I think Finn's theory of mind is obviously very different to say my daughter's theory of mind. Um, which is much more developed. Um, but at the moment, like Finn's currently working with a psychologist to help him develop his theory of mind a little better. So his sense of self and, you know, the outside world. But he, he's certainly very connected to other people's feelings and you can see that other people are upset um, or, you know, frustrated or... So, you know, it, it's it's sort of like this spectrum. I guess that's why they call it a spectrum. Yeah, sure. And he... You know, his theory of mind is on a spectrum and it's not quite as clear as some people's, but he certainly has some theory of, you know, minds and minds outside of his own. Eventually this led you to uh, interventions and in this case you started the Fast for Word programs. How did you come to that point? Well, actually it was Norman Deutsch's book. Um, I guess one thing, so we, one of the speech pathologists we worked with was lovely um, had sort of warned us, and obviously both being medical professionals, we were very cautious of um, unproven um, therapies. Um, and she had said, look, the best evidence for therapy is intensiveness. Um, and so I knew that really it was intensive therapy that would work the best with Finn, but that's so hard to put into a very busy life. Mm. And I just happened to be reading um, Norman Doidge's book and read all uh, the stuff and talked about Fast for Word. 
And I was like, wow, like this is really science-driven. It's not some someone's sort of idea or thought bubble that they've then tried on a few kids and seems to be working well with them. There was a team of, you know, highly experienced researchers looking at these problems and coming up with solutions. I mean, it's a pretty impressive um, thing that they've come up with. And so I actually, you know, I said to my husband, look, maybe this is just something that might help, um, you know, it's not incredibly proven, but at least it's scientifically based. Um, so, so that's where we came from. You know, I, I, to be honest, I was a bit dubious. I was like, well, you know, at least there's some science in there, and maybe, um, maybe you know, sometimes when things reach popular media, it's kind of the science gets watered down a little. Um, so, but you know, we just had no other things to try really. <laughs> so we tried intensive therapy. We, you know, we tried you know home therapy and just immersion therapy of just you know surrounding him by lots of people who love him and talk to him and things like that. And um, and we're just sort of out of options. So we thought, well, we've got nothing to lose. I guess there'd be that natural enthusiasm for anyone trying to find a solution to any particular problem when suddenly you come across this thing that seems to be able to work and and it and it seems within reach i mean it's it's a computer program and you think oh, well that's something that i can i can buy that i can use it and hopefully there'll be a result did you yeah. get a little bit did you perhaps get a little bit edgy after coming to that 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 eureka moment and then thinking oh maybe this won't work after all yeah i mean i was very dubious I, you know and that's probably the medical profession in me is that we're very dubious of things <laughs> So very well, that's, skeptical. That's kind of good, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's being a scientist. Um, is so, you know, um, but I knew that there was evidence for intensiveness, and this offered. So I thought, well, look, you know, even if it, the science doesn't quite stack up, you know, and and it did, but if if it didn't, the intensiveness would at least help. Um, so yeah, and and it and it was delivered in a format that we could deliver the intensiveness in our home. You made mention before about trying to find time in a in in what's already a very busy life, and I don't think there'd be a person on this earth who doesn't have a busy life these days. What was it like for Finn to suddenly have a a very heavy routine imposed upon him, which would have been very different to any other routine that that he might have seen? Yeah, I think we certainly had to align you know, our sort of work-life balance up to start. So I'd sort of, you know, read about it probably about three months beforehand and then I sort of had to pull back on a few things and adjust before we start got going um, just because I knew we needed a sort of really dedicated period of supervision to implement the program. But because I'd already done quite a bit of home-style-based education with Finn, just trying to, you know, keep him catch him up all the time with schoolwork and things. I knew that I could implement the program. I knew I could get him to do it. Um, and we started with the 50-minute intensive um, a day. Um, so, yeah, look, and at first I was a bit like, well, it's 50 minutes. It's pretty repetitive. Yeah, that was for five <laughs> days a week? Was that the five, five days a week, yeah. But I, I not like, just in terms of developing a routine, we actually sort of tried to do it every day. So just every day was the same. It was like brushing your teeth. You don't get Saturday and Sunday off. <laughs> just do it every day. And then that way, if we missed a day, you think, well, we're still getting the five days. Yeah, sure. Um, 
So, so, and I still try and do that now is we just do it every day. It's just part of, you know, have you done faster word today? Yes, no, okay, off you go. Does the school know about this? Yes, yeah, the school does know about it. Um, In terms of his use of the program, not his, not his condition, I mean. Yeah, no, no, the school is aware of the program, but I must admit they're really pre- pretty, um, you know, naive to its work. In fact, I was listening to your podcast about um, the founders of it and, the, and their frustrations about, you know, because they believe obviously it's very successful in helping children to read and their frustrations about in terms of getting it out there to the kids who need it. And um, so I guess there is this sort of still this reluctance in the community and crowding of other possibilities of what things could work, you know, in that space. So, um, so yeah, the school's sort of, even though I've spoken about it and, you know, and I think unfortunately Finn sort of started it in a transition where he's going from, you know, junior school to middle school. So they didn't quite have the sense of the changes it made from him. Interesting, his piano teacher said to us, because he'd started in September last year, and then so he's doing it and then he had a break from piano and then came back and she said, I don't know what you've done with Finn. Wow. <laughs> holidays, because his ability to note read for piano has just, you know, it's phenomenal. It's so different. Isn't that incredible? I know. We were like, well, yeah, I, you know, he's been doing this program that helps his memory and, you know, he's listening and, yeah, so definitely. she. So, so I think it helps when you have that big gap and then, you know, you come back and then you see the difference. Were you able to feed that experience back to the school? Is that something that you could yes. tell them? Yeah, and look, I've been sort of harping on what a difference it's made to his life. And, and people have in school have certainly noticed but I guess for Finn, because we came in it so late, you know, his language uh, and literacy skills are still struggling. But, you know, he's really making phenomenal gains um, over the last six months. And I guess for the school, they, you know, just because of the nuance of him now being in high school and having individual teachers, I guess they're not really seeing it. Mm. Um, they just see his deficit. So... You know, whereas I'm seeing his gain, like his confidence in reading, his confidence in speaking, his confidence just to interact with others. Is... That's a real glass half full story right there, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's complete, you know, once upon a t- like I took him to golf the other day, which he tried golf, and I said, do you want me to stay? He said, <laughs> no. And I'm like, you're sure? Because normally you'd be nervous and you want me to stay. He goes, no, I'll be fine. And I think that's part of his ability to communicate with the world. That that's a, a curious connection there for me, golf, because golf could be one of the most frustrating things he ever <laughs> yeah. does in his entire life. Yeah, well, for me too. <laughs> More from my discussion with Kim coming up. On this podcast, we've told many stories of how people's lives have been turned around by the brain's incredible ability to change itself. If you'd like to hear more, check out the Learning Capacity Archives and you can subscribe for free. Search for Learning Capacity on iTunes or visit soundcloud.com slash learnfast. I'm curious, though, um, you mentioned before that the school was perhaps not fully informed or, or even partially informed. I've often wondered about that myself because it, it is an emerging area of brain science. And if you think about mm-hmm. how we sometimes use the term brain science, we, we often use it as a... Um, 
not not really like a put down, but a come on, why don't you get this? You know, it's not brain science, you know. Uh, yeah. th- that kind of thing. I mean, you could use rocket science as another example. Come on, mate, this isn't that hard. It's not rocket science. But in, yeah. this, but in this case, it really is brain science. Yeah. So in one sense, it's not really that surprising that, that schools don't spend a lot of time trying to investigate these things. So how would you explain or how would you describe your relationship with the school now in terms of continuing down this path with Fast Forward? Yeah, I mean, I was really trying to, because obviously incorporating it in your life and the demands of the school day and by the time they get there, do their school day and come home and then adding this additional 30 minutes on top of the homework that already has to happen. And to me, there's a lot of, you know, obviously I'm a very outcome-focused kind of person, but in schools there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of opportunity and that's when children are operating at their best, not at 7 o'clock at night after a long day that there's a real opportunity in the day to do this 30 minutes of work and, you know, listening to the, some of the schools who've incorporated it, it just sounds, you know, fantastic. Um, so I was sort of trying to, you know, gently say, look, maybe we could just do this at, at this part of the day. Um, but they, although they're sort of interested and supportive of me doing it, they've really shown zero interest. Perhaps um, you could be less gentle. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, yeah, I mean... So, I mean, my husband would probably disagree that I'm gentle. (laughs) But, yeah, I guess for them it's, you know, it's just they, I think their theory of education and learning is very different um, from what's presented from these neuroscientists. And, uh, and yeah, so I think it's a big leap in a busy school. You know, they've got other programs and models and, you know, so, yeah, it's difficult, difficult. I think there's some uh, positive news or reason for hope in that, in, in that part of the educational world because there are principals around who are quite aware or increasingly aware of educational neuroscience, if I can put it that way, um, and are actually trying to actively consider those things in how they develop their curriculum. I had uh, Peter Hutton, who's uh, the principal of Templestowe College on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago, and and he's very interested in the area of educational neuroscience and also quite aware of what he would call uh, a false neuroscience. And so he's already aware of some of the pitfalls that are coming out. Yeah. Um, and similarly, I asked um, uh, Mima Mason, who's the CogMed representative for Pearson, is, mm. is educational neuroscience for real or is it just pop science or, or armchair psychology? Yeah. And uh, and she said no, it's uh, it's quite real. There's uh, it, and you know it is an emerging field. Yes, I'll grant you that, but the the emerging evidence is quite compelling. So I I would say that there's there's hope. And, yeah, I definitely agree, and I, I love hearing those stories. They really give me hope, and I think I think the educational landscape, just as from a parental perspective, is changing, and it's changing fast, and it really needs to. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't change it for my son. I even wrote to Professor Hattie saying, how can I get my school on board? Is that <laughs> so, right? What was, yeah. his resp- what was his response to that? Oh, he was like, look, there's, you know, he, he wrote a very gentle academic, I don't know much about your situation, but, um, you know, so he wrote a professional response that I'd expect. 
But, you know, he was saying, look, you know, there's things, you know, about student performance and then there's things about teacher performance and, um, you know, it's about developing a very clear plan and working with the school about what that plan is. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. I think it's difficult in the environment and trying to get people on board in terms of change and, and you know, Moving, you know, just based on one parent's experience. You mm. know. Um, I don't want to get too sidetracked on uh, on John Hattie, but I think it is worth noticing that he, he did write you a very professional response. But having spoken with him on the program, it is a uh, – I, I think he's very genuine in his, uh, in his attempt to try and find out what actually really works in the classroom. And, yes. Uh, and – I know that many people are at odds with some of his research and they and they disagree with it, but uh, I think there's a lot to like about some of the things that he's found out. So I'm not, I'm not surprised about the response that you got. But yeah. ha- but having said that, I think the future landscape looks pretty good. Yeah. Looking looking further then at the glass half full, if we can put it that way, uh, mm-hmm. when when did you start to notice the results? Really, as as in, was it three months, four months, or was it only after he'd then gone back to his uh, his piano practice? Can can you put a time frame on it? Um, well, it's really difficult now, but I guess we started noticing things after the first month. And I'm even my daughter was saying, "Gee, Finn's talking a lot now." Is that right? <laughs> after one yeah. month? Yeah, and um, and then because. You know, in terms of compliance with uh, the therapy, there was quite a bit of supervision that was required. And even now, I still need to check in to see that he's actually doing it. Um, but what I noticed is he to say, oh, because there's some elements of it, um, they're actually very difficult. And, and I found them difficult. And he was saying, oh, you know, and then so he actually got better at the tasks than I could just as an outsider coming in and having a bit of a go. Um and I think that gave him a really great sense of achievement. Yes, I'm better at this than you are. <laughs> yes, and I was like, oh, I'm like, oh, like I can't, I can't even distinguish those sounds. Been, how are you doing that? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so certainly that his uh, willingness to communicate, and and probably it took about three months that I really noticed because I used to have to give Finn, you know, single step instructions, face to face. Um, or else if it wasn't face-to-face, I'd end up having to repeat myself. After three months, that completely disappeared. I can now give him a multi-step instruction, still face-to-face, mind you, uh, works much better. But what I'd find if I gave him multi-step instructions in the past, he'd maybe do one and then forget and then be distracted by something else. Now I can say, you know, go and do these three things and then come back. And then sometimes he still might forget the last thing, but he'll come back to me and say, oh, I know there's something else, but I've just forgotten what was it. Whereas before he wouldn't even remember that there was something else. Um, so in less than a year, you're, you're dealing with a radical change. It's a radically different situation, isn't it? Y- yes. Yeah. I mean, confidence-wise and his um, willingness to try things also, you know, completely different. And and that probably – that is – Difficult to know, but that probably took, you know, the three months as well. Um, as well, we started noticing just increasing confidence in social situations. Part of the underlying diagnosis was expressive and receptive language delays, and this is basically what we've been talking about for the last 10 or 15 minutes, I suppose. And and that was explained to you as a, a form of auditory processing disorder. So given the fact that you've seen 
significant changes in his ability to communicate, would mm. you would you say that his expressive and receptive language, if I can try to just pin it down to those two technical terms, has yeah. signif- has significantly improved? Is that where your is that how you would describe the improvement? Yeah. So I think particularly his receptive language and his expressive language has improved, um, and I, I still think we have a little bit more work to do there. Um, and his literacy has improved in terms of his ability to read um, has improved remarkably. I was going to ask you about that because he started the reading programs. <laughs> and uh, was that because that just seemed like a natural thing to progress onto or, or was there a deficit in reading as well that you thought, no, we need to address this as well? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, that was where his major issue in terms of how his um, excessive and language, uh, receptive language delay, how it, you know, basically presented itself at school was his literacy um, was, you know, probably at a sort of years, at, at like a six-year-old to seven-year-old mark mm. at the end of last year. So he's assessed by the school at being reading sort of at about a seven-year-old um, level on comprehension. Um, but so he certainly needed lots of work there. And so it just, we developed the habit and there was a reading program and we just, I thought, well, let's just keep going and let's just see how far we can go um, with it. So, yeah, so he's he's now on reading program three, which uh, Vanessa was saying is sort of like a year six level of um, reading. So mm. so his, read, his reading has, you know, it's improved. And just even his confidence to attempt words. Yeah. You know, whereas before he just, I, I don't know, he'd look at me, I'm not sure, you know, um, and hearing the phonemes in the word, much better, much better. I was reading some academic commentary the other day that suggested that the only reason why we teach people to read is so that they so that they can read. Now, I know on the surface that sounds kind of simple, yeah, okay, um, but, you know, so that they can read to read signs or read a form or, you know, fill in a form or something like that, but... The commentary then went on to say, well, shouldn't we really be educating children to read so that they can enjoy reading and explore reading and that they can research on their own and that they can enjoy literature and stories and fiction and, and, and so forth? Do you, see, do you see any development in Finn's enjoyment of reading or is it just at this point a, a mechanical sense of, yes, I can read? Yes. Well, I think both my husband and I uh, enjoy reading and read a lot. Um, and so we understand those joys and pleasures. So we've always read to the kids and we still read to Finn. He loves being read to. So he loves stories. So we're currently reading The Hunger Games, loves it. Um, so he, he, I wouldn't say he's enjoying reading yet. It's still hard, hard work. And even I think for my daughter who probably has a reading age, you know, of about 11 or 12, so you know, slightly ahead of Finn's, um, she still finds it, you know, it's taxing. Mm. So um, she doesn't quite have the joy of it yet. But, you know, I keep saying to them, you just got to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it gets easier. Just keep doing it. We, I felt like you. I felt reading was very taxing and very hard when I was growing up. But, you know, eventually as an adult, you realize you, as you practice, um, some children, I think, get that benefit of it becomes easier for them early and then they get that love of reading. 
Um, unfortunately, you know, my love of reading really didn't develop until I was about 15 or 16, so not until I was a bit older. Mm. Well, you've got 10 years on me because it started for me at 25. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very late. In fact, yeah. uh, I, I, well, I've I confessed this a few times on the show. Uh, I used to cheat in the uh, MS Readathon. Right. I, okay. I, I used to collect money for books I never read. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, I think my brother's. Uh, you know, with every book they had to read in their HSC English, um, you know, pretty much watched a movie <laughs> <laughs> and got the notes for it. I can't yeah. remember the name of the notes that you get for a book, but, um, you know, there's a classic note set that you get for every book. So they'd read the notes on the book and watch the movie. Yeah, well, Shakespeare and I are very good friends, thanks to the, <laughs> thanks to the study guide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Without the study guide, our relationship would be terrible. Yeah, so, yeah. I've got a crystal ball question for you. What does the future look like, do you think, now? Uh, well, I think, you know, the, the future is exciting. You know, we've, we've found something that has made incredible change in Finn's life. Um, and at least we feel like, you know, he's got the confidence to go out and try things now. Um, so, so yeah, you know, and hopefully he will develop the joy of reading, you know, like my husband and I and have a full and meaningful life. So, so that's, you know, that's really important. Kim, it's a wonderful story and it's been wonderful to speak with you this afternoon. Thanks so much for your time. Well, thanks for having me. You've been listening to Learning Capacity brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to know more about Fast for Word and how it might be able to help your child, visit learnfasthome.com.au. Or if you'd like to speak with a specialist, then you can call the following numbers. In Australia, 1300 203 104. Again, that Australian number, 1300 203 104. Or if you're in New Zealand, dial 0800 451 959. That's 0800 451 959. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.